the ensemble and hearing the children sing this morning. It's been wonderful. We're looking at Daniel chapter 7, and we're moving into apocalyptic literature. The first six chapters have been the historical. And are you an optimist or a pessimist? If you don't know, uh, ask somebody who knows you well, and they can answer in one word, uh, yes or no on that. Well, if you're an optimist, you'll read Daniel 7, and you'll be quite optimistic. And if you're a pessimist, you'll be quite pessimistic on this chapter. And it has some of both. There's some terrible things in this chapter. There's some very good things. But I want you to remember, as we, before I read it, that the chapters two through seven in Daniel are in Aramaic. And so it's, it's letting you know there's a beginning and an end to this section. And it's typically called uh, this, like an inclusio, okay? So you have two and seven, these two chapters parallel each other. And then three and six parallel each other and four and five parallel each other. So the idea is that in chapters four and five, God humbles the proud, if you remember, both Nebuchadnezzar gets humbled and then Belshazzar and how those two chapters kind of tie in together of God humbling the proud. And then you have chapters three and six where you have these great deliverance story of Daniel in the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going to the fiery furnace. But then in two and seven, you have these visions that are given and in chapter two, Uh, we have a vision of a statue, you may recall, with the four kingdoms. And we actually have a nice slide here so you can see the kingdoms. It's very important that you have this in your mind as we read chapter seven, or you won't have a clue with this chapter, okay? So there's four kingdoms. You remember there's a head of gold, and then there's silver and the bronze, and then down to the feet, the iron and the clay. And they refer to four kingdoms, and we have those dates there. Uh, of the dates of those kingdoms. Well, that's gonna tie to chapter seven, but in chapter seven, it's as if Daniel's given this vision and the curtain is pulled back and we are given a heavenly, a spiritual perspective and seeing that uh, we're able to peer in and see that our battle is really not against flesh and blood and, and, and earthly kingdoms, but there's also behind it, there's rulers, there's principalities, there's spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Sinclair Ferguson, is a great scholar and preacher, says this about Daniel 7. He says, this section of God's word is not meant to be an amusement for armchair theological sleuths. It's intended to give an overwhelming impression of the mysteries of God's purposes and the awful conflict that lies behind and beneath history. Here is true apocalyptic. Our depravity is unveiled. The curtain that hides the glory of God is momentarily drawn back. We are given a brief look into the throne room of the universe and the sovereignty of God. So with that in mind, let's give attention to Daniel chapter seven. In the first year of Belshazzar, Uh, king of Babylon. So now if you remember chapter six was under Darius the Mede, we're going back in time, okay? This was time-wise back to chapter five. The first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw the dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And the four great beasts came out of the sea, differing from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then I looked, 
Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand the two feet like a man, and the mind of, the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up from among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. You got all that? All right, moving right along. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire, a stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood behind him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory, and a kingdom, that all people's nations and languages should serve him or worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. And if you haven't understood anything that has been said thus far, if you're like me and you really like Cliff Notes, underline these two verses because here you have a great summary of all of human history and the great sum of Daniel and of Revelation in two verses. Here's the Cliff Notes. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. There's a summary. But we want more. And Daniel wanted more. Then I desire to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze and which devoured and broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet and about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, the horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came. And judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Then he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdom. It shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, 
Out of this kingdom, 10 kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment. His dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Notice that's three times who's going to possess the kingdom. The saints, his people. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey them. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me. My color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Let's pray. Father, open the eyes of our hearts. Help us to see and understand things that are exceedingly difficult. We know that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so, Lord, would you take this portion of scripture and accomplish your very good purposes in our hearts, and may we bear good fruit upon receiving it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see in this chapter, it all begins with a dream. The dream consists of four winds of heaven stirring up the great sea. And in verse 3, four great beasts come out of the sea. And so we've got some, for those of you that are, need some visuals, we've got some visuals this morning because these are some, if you like to color or draw, I mean, this is, this is amazing stuff that Daniel's describing, isn't it? So these four beasts come out of the sea, and the first was a lion with eagle's wings. And verse 4 says, as I looked, its wings were plucked off. It was lifted from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. Now, the, now keep in mind, we could go way into the weeds this, this morning. We're not gonna, I'm gonna, my goal is to try and be a good golfer and keep it in the fairway. And I'm terrible at golf, but I am trying to take short swings and just keep it in the fairway this morning. So um, I've read lots of different commentaries on both sides, both dispensational, premillennial, amillennial, postmillennial. And after I got done reading all of them, I was more confused than ever. And I can just tell you, if you're settled in one position, it's because you haven't been reading the others. And if you're a dispensational guy and you're really into pre-trib and rapture and all that, you need to read the reformed people. But if you're a reformed guy and that's all you've ever read and you haven't read these other, you need to read them. Because there's something there that each side is missing. And it is stuff to wrestle with. And it's exceedingly difficult. And I'm not going to land anywhere. It's, it's kind of like creation. I feel like, you know, my view on creation is who I read last. Uh, they all sound so wonderful. Um, this is difficult. But the first beast corresponds to that head of gold in Daniel 2. And, it, and most scholars all say that stands for Babylon. A likely interpretation here is that as Nebuchadnezzar was converted, the nation became more and more human and compassionate, as is being described here as the mind of man was given to it, it became less vulture-like in consuming its prey. And that leads us to verse five, the second beast, 
which is like a bear. And we've got the image there of the bear with the three ribs in its mouth. And it's raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, arise, devour much flesh. And a likely interpretation here is that the bear is getting ready to move forward or to strike. And this image seems to correspond to the Medo-Persia Empire of which Daniel lived to see. The three ribs in the bear's mouth may signify the bear's appetite and desire to devour, and it did conquer three nations, Babylon, Lydia, and Egypt. And so that could, could easily correspond to the three ribs in its mouth. The third beast from the ocean, I mean, we've got lions, uh, bears, and leopards, oh my, okay? So this is a leopard, and this leopard has four wings, okay, and it also has four heads, okay? So four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. So this imagery here is most likely referring to this beast-like kingdom that's exceedingly fast in its ability to conquer and devour. And none can hardly be compared in human history to Alexander the Great, who was uh, tutored by Aristotle until age 16. He died at the age of 32, and the spread of which his kingdom went from uh, all the way over to India and most of the, of the world, and he never was defeated. Um, most believe that this uh, beast-like uh, creature uh, is referring to uh, Alexander the Great, and when he died, his kingdom was divided into four, hence the four heads. So the last beast grabs most of the attention in the chapter. And so here we have a couple different images. I'll just give you three different slides. And if you really want to get scared, just go to Google Images and type, you know, Daniel 7 images, you know, and, and, and look at, go ahead and show them a couple of these other uh, ones. And there were a couple that were so creepy that I figured if it was children in church, they might not be able to sleep well tonight. So I stopped at those three. But, you know, they're, they're, these are people that are trying to... Uh, paint a picture of what they're seeing in this text, okay? And so this beast is, is rather indescribable. He's rampaging and conquering and crushing and stamping and, and most see that this reference is a reference to Rome. However, as we get into this, we realize there's more than Rome, okay? But certainly it, it begins with Rome and you have the iron teeth and you have the iron feet um, and the iron and the clay uh, in Daniel 2, and most see a connection there. Now, my take is that the horns are a symbol of power, and 10, my, my, this is my view, is, is most likely a symbolic number. It may literally be 10 kings, uh, or it could be a way of saying that super, super powerful, okay? And so you have 10 kings or 10 horns, that initially refers to Rome, but Rome doesn't exist today, okay? And I don't think there's gonna be such a thing as a revived Rome, but just as Babylon is a real city, has spiritual significance though as the city of man and is often given spiritual significance, so this last beast is like many Old Testament prophecies, it's like the rock skipping across the pond and they land more than once. 
So initially, this, these two visions, both Daniel 2 and Daniel 7, have a reference to Rome. We are told in Daniel 2.44, in the days of those kings, the Roman Empire, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. We celebrate that next Sunday when Jesus was born uh, in the Roman Empire. And nor shall this kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. And yet we read in Daniel 7 some things that haven't happened yet. So if you look down at chapter 23 in the text, it says, as for this fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms. It shall devour the whole earth, trample it down, break in pieces. As for the ten horns, out of his kingdom, ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. So now we're on to this eleventh. And he shall be different than the former ones and shall put down three kings. I have no idea what that's referring to. Um, he shall speak words against the Most High, shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hands for a time, times, and a half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end, and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms and the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, their kingdom being everlasting kingdom, dominions and all dominions shall serve and obey them. So Jesus hasn't come back yet and brought judgment upon this beast just yet. This great judgment when the courts will be opened and, and shall sit in judgment and the, and the saints who've been wore out by this uh, beast and the saints is this idea of the people that are made holy by God. They're the people of God, but they've been made holy by God. We haven't been given the kingdom yet in the fullness in the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells. We're not there yet. So Babylon has come and gone. Persian Empire has come and gone. Alexander the Great and his empire have come and gone. The Roman Empire has come and gone. And then we're, there's this cycle of 10 kings or symbolic of powerful kingdoms that will continue to come onto the scene and to terrify in their oppression of God's people. But the worst is yet to come when this little horn who's going to pluck out three, and he's going to come down, and most see this as the Antichrist who will come before the Lord returns. And the New Testament does speak of this. It speaks of Antichrist as a, as a power or a spirit that denies that Christ has come in the flesh. That's where we get the word incarnation in 1 John 4, that Christ has come in the flesh. Well, if you deny that, that's the spirit of Antichrist. But there's also a person that comes as the Antichrist. And 2 Thessalonians 2 speaks of this very clearly when the apostle says, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and being gathered to him, we ask, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Don't let anybody tell you that. He's saying, let no one deceive you in any way for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. And then Paul goes on to say this about him. Then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth 
and brings to nothing by the appearance of his coming. I mean, there's not some great last battle like, like C.S. Lewis or the big finale to the Lord of the Rings. It just says Jesus shows up and goes, and breathes on him, and that's the end. The very breath of his mouth will kill him. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all the wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. It's a troubling passage, and there's several like this that are both in Daniel and in Revelation 13. You should read, just read Revelation 13 and underline every just good exercise, every time it says permits or allows. Because some people don't like that, that are real reformed. They don't like, oh, God just permitted it or God allowed it. No, it says it over and over again, just like this chapter says four or five times that it was given, was given, was given, and everything that, is, that happens was given by God and allowed to happen. And here it says God sends them the strong delusion. So here it's even more active that God has a hand in this. And yet there is a real spiritual battle of which God's people are oppressed and worn out. And yet God has his purposes in that. And so and when you read Revelation, in and, and Revelation 13, you also have this beast coming out of the sea. And you have these three different creatures that are in, that are in the book of Revelation. And one of them is a prostitute. One is the beast. And so the idea is that Satan has kind of different tactics of way he schemes to work his, his craft of deceit. And he does it through persecuting God's people. And this beast is described, these beasts are described as very much persecuting and terrifying the people of God. And we see that happening around the world in places today. But the prostitute lures with the lure of money and lust and pornography and, and those things. And there's very much the prostitute. That's not mentioned so much in Daniel, but it's in Revelation. And then there's also the lying, the prevarication of the way that the devil will use false doctrines to deceive people. And those are kind of the three tricks of the devil that he works his woe amongst this earth. And so what we see in Daniel 7 is a survey of human history from the time of Daniel to the very end of the world. There will be four great kingdoms that will arise one after the other. And these two, it could be a, a, an idea that that happened in history, but it could be rock skipping that there'll be other kingdoms. But there's certainly, there's numerous kingdoms coming from Rome, and that's described as 10 kingdoms. But at the end, power will be concentrated in a single blasphemous individual. And he's only a man, yet he's going to appear to be supernatural. Yet he'll be the enemy of God and all that is godly, and he's going to greatly persecute the people of God. And yet in the midst of all this, and simultaneous to all this, we see the kingdom of God. We're pulled back and we're able to see the throne room. And we see the real king. We see the real kingdom that's gonna outlast all the other kingdoms and will rule over them and crush them. We see the ancient of days in verses nine and 10, a reference to God the Father in all purity and holiness. And he's on his throne and his throne is a fiery chariot. And he will put down all who oppose him because he's invincible and he presides over this court of judgment. And the books will be opened. 
And there are records of all the words and actions and motives of every man, woman, and child. So beware, the king of kings will have the last word and all are accountable to him. And then there's more. We're told that how he's going to destroy, and it says uh, that the, the beast is killed and his body's destroyed. And then it says, uh, but the lives of these others are prolonged for a season and a time. But then we have the one who comes to the ancient of days, one who is described one like a son of man. And we know that to be our Lord Jesus Christ. He's presented to the ancient of days. And this is a heavenly court, but one comes here who seems to be human, one like a son of man. And as Martin Luther said about him, Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, one little word shall fell him, the devil. This is a foreshadowing of what will be when Daniel has this dream and his vision, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, had not yet taken humanity to himself and added it to his deity. He is spirit with no body, not yet. Not until the incarnation, Jesus coming in the flesh. The word becomes flesh, became flesh, dwelt among us. And Jesus refers to himself, the number one expression he refers to himself is as the son of man, a reference to Daniel 7, verse 13 and 14. It's the most common title given to Jesus. So the son of man in Daniel 7 is God and is worshiped, and yet he's a man. He has kingdom, dominion, that glory, and all peoples, nations, and languages will serve and worship him. His dominion doesn't end. It's an everlasting dominion. He'll never be impeached, and he's never going to resign. You see, are we getting this? World empires will come, and they will go. There will even be TV shows about these empires coming and going. And they will rise and fall and they will have their temporary moment of glory and then they will fade into the dust and disappear. Yet there is only one kingdom and it's not the United States of America or any other. And it's not Putin or anybody else. There's only one king and one kingdom who will rise and never fall. He has an everlasting dominion and it will never be thwarted, not even by the Antichrist himself. And the Antichrist will be something. He's going to, it says he's going to wear out the saints. He will be so bent on evil, and his signs will indicate this guy is supernatural, yet he's just a man. He's just a, a time, time, and time and a half. He's just a three and a halfer. He's not a seven. Seven's completeness. But it's going to seem like, boy, th this guy has it all, but he's just a three and a halfer. There's no completeness in him. His reign will end suddenly when the Son of Man comes. And every knee will bow and every knee will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And Jesus says this explicitly about himself in the New Testament. When Jesus is on trial before the high priest and the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And if you have a little search engine that you can search cloud and glory, 
Anytime cloud and glory appears in the Bible, it's a visitation of God Almighty showing up. When they finish building the tabernacle, clouds, glory, you can't go in because Shekinah glory. When they finish building the temple and with King Solomon, cloud, glory, God shows up. And Jesus is saying, that's me. I'm going to come on the, with the clouds, glory, heaven, here I am, just like Daniel 7. And the high priest gets it completely. He tears his clothes and says, what further witness do you need? You've heard the blasphemy. Blasphemy is when someone declares to be God. They got it. And they said, he's deserving of death. So what can we take away from this chapter? Let me give you a couple things. First, this should help us interpret history. Some think the world is getting worse and worse. Others think we're the fair flower of humanity and we're just getting better and better as humans and we're gonna bud into this glorious rose. We used to think that until all the World War I and World War II. I mean, World War I was the war to end all wars. Uh, then it was the Second World War and been plenty since. So we're given here a very sobering picture of humanity left to himself. If God isn't here on the throne, what do you have? Apart from God's intervention and the real king on the throne who will come again and make things right and knock down this antichrist, if this were not true, we would be doomed to being devoured by various beastly oppressive governments. But we come away with this chapter, we have a glorious picture of who God is, that he's sovereign. Where God is, on the throne. What God is doing, ruling over heaven and earth. And what is going to change, nothing and never. We could say, as the hallelujah chorus says, that the Lord God omnipoteth reigneth. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The kingdoms of this world is becoming, has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever, king of kings and lord of lords forever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. That's what you're seeing here. God is in control. He allows these things to happen. And when you see this, as you, as you read through the chapter in Daniel 7, Verses four to six, we are told about this lion with the eagle's wings. And we are told that, that the mind of man was given to it. God did that. And then we see about this next kingdom, that it's a leopard with four wings of a bird and the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. And then we see Jesus Christ in verse 13 and 14, and to him was given dominion. Because God did it. But lastly, in verse 22, that when the Ancient of Days comes and judgment was given, God brings the judgment and the, and the kingdom is given to the saints and the saints possess the kingdom. And this all relates to, to Christmas. Ultimately, this is a very odd and unusual Advent series going through the book of Daniel. But why did Jesus come? He came for many reasons, and we're told of many of these reasons. Where Jesus will say, you know, this is why I've come. And, and 1 John tells us, in 1 John 3, 8 to 10, chapter 3, 8 to 10, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. 
for the devil's been sinning from the beginning, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Or our meditation reflection verses this morning. He came to destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him, his Holy Spirit. And he can't keep on sinning because he's been born of God. So if you're here this morning and you're a child of God and yet you've been sinning, you've been doing stuff you know you shouldn't be doing, his seed abides in you and you can't keep doing it. You gotta get out because real judgment's coming and the books are gonna be open. And if I'm a lover of God, I can't be a lover of pleasure and loving what God hates. And so we repent. And last but not least, we see there's gonna be a second advent. We're celebrating the first advent, but we're looking forward to the second advent. And for children or young people, what's the word advent? I used to grow up hearing these big words and having a clue what they meant. We'd say, oh, Advent. What, what is Advent? What is incarnation? Advent means coming. He's coming again, his second Advent. Jesus takes Daniel 7, he takes the book of Daniel, and he says it's about him. So I'm trying to keep it in the fairway this morning. Just listen to what Jesus says from his own lips. I'm going to close with reading a portion from Matthew 24. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn there. Matthew 24 Jesus interprets Daniel for, for us and applies it to himself. Verse three, it says, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? And Jesus answered them and said, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there's going to be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pangs. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you'll be hated by all nations for my namesake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased... The love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by this prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who's on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter on a Sabbath. For then it will be great tribulation has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, don't, do not believe it. For false Christ and false pro prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, and so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man. 
Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he'll send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And, they, and he will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. There's four things you need to know about the end times. I know he's coming. I don't know when. I better be ready and we win. Are you ready? Because he's coming. I want to end with a favorite quote from John Frame in his Systematic Theology book, which some of us went through last year. It's a very helpful point. He says, when Scripture tells us about the return of Christ, it doesn't give us this information so we can put it on a chart and watch the events as they pass by. That would be catering to our intellectual pride, among other things where we have a little cocktail, two parts Daniel, three parts Revelation, and a sprinkle of Ezekiel. And we got all these charts, and we got it all figured out. Aren't we special? That isn't why. Why then does Scripture have so much to say about the last days? So that we can reorder our lives in the light of Jesus' coming. So far as I can see, Every Bible passage about the return of Christ is written for a practical purpose, not to help us develop a theology of history, but to motivate our obedience. Are you ready? It's not are you ready for Christmas. It's are you ready for Jesus and his second coming. Let's pray. Lord God, you see everything. You know the hearts of everyone in this room, including mine. All of our secrets. All the things we're ashamed of. And Lord, we're amazed that Jesus is the Messiah who would come so humbly and be crushed, crucified, that our punishment would be upon him so that our, your peace would be ours. We thank you that you've come to make peace with us. So Lord, we turn to you afresh. We need you. We do recognize it's a wicked world and we're wicked people. And we thank you that you are pure and undefiled holy and harmless. Thank you that you've come to seek and save the lost. We pray that you would do that here today in our midst. We thank you that you rule the world with truth and grace. We thank you that we have hope and a future. Fill us with your spirit. Help us to be your witnesses as the gospel is going to be preached to the whole world before you return. And we pray, Lord, come quickly. Help us to hasten this return. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. We have the privilege to sing with the orchestra. So we're gonna sing Joy to the World as our last song together.